Good morning. Good morning. What a great day as we gather and worship. Before we go to the text, uh, the couple of updates I want to give us as we're headed into this year. Uh, how many of you were here last summer when we explored the Psalms? Uh, through the summer, we remember we sampled the Psalms, we took a look at different songs and how they line up with Psalms. Remember that? Okay, well, what we're going to do this summer is we're going to take a look at the Proverbs. Now, God's wisdom through King Solomon. And what we're going to do, not to line it up with songs, what we want to do is we want to line it up with films. Because the reality is that God's wisdom through Solomon shows up on the silver screen all the time. And this summer, we're going to go through 11 different Proverbs, some of the most famous pieces of wisdom literature ever in the history of the world. And we're going to see how we can see some of these truths revealed to us in film. But I need your help. Rather than me coming up with all the films on my own, I want to invite you to be part of this. So, in fact, as we get into this spring and into the summer, there's two different ways in which you can submit ideas for films that line up with the Proverbs. You can go to our website, belairpress.org slash summercinema. You'll hear a lot more about that. Or you can go to our connection booth. There's a hard copy. You can see the actual Proverbs that we're going to teach through. Take it home and you might say, oh, this one lines up perfectly with this. In fact, there's a, a proverb that talks about how essential it is for us to give voice to the voiceless, to care for those that can't care for themselves. And immediately my mind goes to Schindler's List. But there's more films, and I want your ideas. I want you to be part of this sermon series so you can submit those in the months ahead as we get into this summer. In addition to that, I've been saying the last year and a half that I long for us to be not just a church that prays among many different things when it's convenient, when we have time, but rather that we would be a praying church. Now, if you haven't heard me say that, if you're newer, there's a huge distinction because in many ways I'm a person right now that, that prays. You know, I fit it in between this meeting and that uh, before I do this thing or, or in the midst of all the business of life, I try to fit prayer in, but rather I want to be a person that God would grow, that God would shape, that God would transform, that I would become a praying person, that all that I do would be saturated in prayer, that the foundation of my life and decisions and interactions and frustrations and joys and ups and downs, that, that prayer would saturate all of that. And so last year, to help with that as a church, we wanted to cover all of our time in 2015. So show of hands, how many of you were part of that initiative to cover every minute of every hour of 2015 in prayer? Yeah, people sign up for at least 15 minutes for one hour once a week. Well, what we want to do this year in 2016 is we want to not just take a look at time, but also the space that we occupy. We live in Los Angeles, and we want to cover every inch of every mile of every neighborhood in Los Angeles in prayer. And so some of you, you're already a part of this. You already know about this. You've already begun to pray in your homes, in your neighborhoods. You'll go on walks in your community and you'll pray. You'll uh, at work pray. I know the 405 is one of those prayed for freeways right now. It seems like people are texting me, I'm praying on my commute to work. Well, if you're not part of that, you can actually be part of that initiative to help be part of, because it really, when you think about it, it's going to take all of us to cover every inch of L.A., and just a show of hands, how many of you are receiving the prayer guide that gets emailed every Sunday morning? All right, so a good number, but not all of us. I found that to be a phenomenal resource that Pastor Kim Dortilly and her team put together every week that help resource us and help equip us to be praying. 
It's not going to just manufacture itself out of thin air. We need resources from Scripture. And so if you'd like to be a part of that, look in your bulletin right now. Hopefully it was handed to you as you came in. There's uh, some information there on how you can either text in to be part of that, to receive that prayer guide. You can also, after the service, go to what we call our Narthex. What a great name for that, isn't it? It's simply outside our sanctuary, still on the inside of this building. There's a huge map of Los Angeles, and you can see where people are already praying. You can be part of that. Simply take a little sticker, put it in the area that you would like to commit to be praying for. Hey, you can use more than one sticker. Let's fill this map up by the end of 2016 and that we would long to cover every inch of every mile of every neighborhood in Los Angeles in prayer. All right, well, why don't we go to our text right now. If you have a Bible or if you'd like to grab the red book in the pew in front of you or if you're in the front row, there's a little cubby right behind your leg. This is our pew Bible. We're going to Ephesians chapter 2. And in a moment, I'm going to read Ephesians 2, 13 through 18. And as we get to that page, it's on page 950 in your pew Bible. As a quick reference, if you are joining us online or have a mobile device, we're going through the New Revised Standard Version. And I'm going to read for us, as I said, Ephesians 2, verses 13 to 18. It's on the left side there in your pew Bible. And as we're turning there, I'm going to just orient us to where we are uh, in this new year in this series. We're in the middle of Lent in a season that leads from Ash Wednesday all the way to Easter Sunday. And during this time, we're in a series and we're exploring what the church is. Because if I was to ask you, the church is fill in the blank, you might have different words, different ideas, different word pictures perhaps that you would use to describe the church. And the truth of what Scripture says is that church, it's more than a steeple, it's more than a Sunday, it's more than a sermon, it's more than just, just an hour on Sunday. In fact, we are the church, Scripture says. And we've been exploring this amazing, extraordinary truth. Then the first week, the church is born. It's not built, it has to be born by the Spirit. Last week, we explored how the church is literally the body of Christ. And today, we're going to explore what Paul says. The church is the new humanity, redefining at the core of what it means to be human. Let's take a listen to this. This is the Apostle Paul, one of the first leaders of the church, writing to a church in a town called Ephesus. This is the letter called Ephesians, beginning in verse 13. He writes, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He is our peace. In His flesh, He has made both groups into one and has broken down the dividing wall. That is the hostility between us. He has abolished the law with its commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new humanity in place of the two, thus making peace, and might reconcile both groups to God in one body through the cross, thus putting to death that hostility through it. So he came and proclaimed peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him both of us have access in one spirit to the Father." This, my friends, concludes the reading of God's Word. And then before we talk about this, first I want to talk about an open seat. And when I say an open seat, I don't mean an empty seat, because just because a seat is empty doesn't mean it's open. You, you know what it's like when you go to a movie theater and you have one of those kind of general admission, you know, tickets and you go in, you're like looking, you're, you're there early, you know, you've planned it out, you get your popcorn, you get your soda. In my case, an icy. I love ICs. 
And you, you find your spot and you sit down. And you're like, this is great. And always, you know, it always happens this way. It's after the previews. It's once the film actually starts that they show up, right? It's those people that actually, they reserved ahead of time. This is my wife, by the way. She, she wants to know her exact... They, they, They've reserved ahead of time, and they're making their way down the aisle, and they're looking, and they got their light, and they're seeing, and they say, excuse me, that's my seat. And it's this whole commotion of, you know, what? No, no, no. Oh, oh let me see. Let me see. Oh, oh. And then you move, you know, see, just because it's an empty seat doesn't mean it's an open seat. If somebody's pre-reserved that seat in advance. You go to a restaurant, maybe you show up early, right at the beginning of dinner service, and you say, oh, 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 that's my favorite table. You say to the minute, can I have that table? And they say, oh, no, no, no. It's reserved. It's not open. No, but, but, but it's empty. No, it's, it's, it's reserved. Somebody's already reserved that seat. You see, to understand this, I want to talk about a certain open seat that doesn't necessarily mean it's just empty. You see, to have an open seat, one that you can actually sit down at, that you can actually enjoy, that you can actually experience all that is before you is quite a thing. You know, there's certain seats in this world that are actually pretty hard to come by. They're pretty closed. In fact, uh, if you look at the Super Bowl, for example, that wasn't just open seating. In the 50th year of the Super Bowl, it's not like they said to the world, hey, come on, show up. We've got plenty of room. No, it, it, you had to buy a ticket, right? And this past Super Bowl was the most expensive Super Bowl in history. The per average ticket cost was, was higher than it had ever been. And the most expensive ticket this year went for more than anything else. In fact, there's some restaurants that are pretty expensive to get into. There's some country clubs in this city that, that cost a lot of money to get into. In fact, you could say that some of the most precious seats require a lot of money for it to open up for you. Yet there's some seats that no matter how much money you have, it doesn't matter. It's something different. In fact, you can have all the money in the world, but for example, there's a, there's a barbecue place in Texas, Bon Appetit Magazine, Franklin Barbecue, by the way. It was rated the best barbecue in America. So of course, when Bon Appetit Magazine says that about your place, overnight things change. And so after that, since that publication, the average wait time is four hours. Yes, it's open seating, but now you've got to wait in line. There's a limited amount of seats. And so for the lunch service at Franklin Barbecue in Austin, Texas, that starts at 11 a.m., people begin lining up at 6 a.m. just to have this barbecue. But, but four hours, 6 a.m., that's, that's nothing. There's some restaurants here in Los Angeles that takes you three months to get into. You know, because you're still on the wait list. But there's some places, you know, have you heard of this, where it actually, there's a reservation system where at midnight you can log in for a year from now just to get in. But it's even more than just your patience. You have to pay for the meal in advance. But that's nothing. Have you heard of this restaurant in, in New York? There's a famous chef who actually has a restaurant in his basement of his home. And in April of 2014, he stopped accepting reservations. No more. Close it up. Why? Why, why, why would he close? He's booked to 2025. <laughs> True story. For the next nine years, he is booked. You can't get in. 
It requires a lot of patience. It requires a lot of waiting to get into certain seats in this world. But even if you have all the money, even if you have all the patience, there's some seats that, that require, in fact, so much more. In fact, think of some seats that require a certain level of education. To get a seat at Harvard, you have to have certain skills, certain education, a certain pedigree, a certain background. There's certain things that it's not just the money, it's not just the time, but you actually have to bring something of worth to the table. There's certain associations or certain memberships or certain affiliations that it's not just about the money or your patience, but requires something of your skill set that you can bring to the table to, to really grant you the opportunity for a seat to open for you. And in many ways, you could say that some of the most exclusive things in this world very rarely have an open seat. I mean, the greatest restaurants, the greatest hotels, the greatest art installations or sporting events, these things in this world, in many ways, the more exclusive they are, the, the more valuable they are, the harder it is to get in. It seems like they're more closed and more secretive. It takes money, it takes time, it takes talent to get in. And yet there are certain things in this world that there's always an open seat. Now, I got nothing against Del Taco, but Del Taco always has an open seat, right? <laughs> it always does. Day, night, anytime you want to go, there's no four-hour wait. You don't have to line up at 6 a.m. You don't have to give reservations a year in advance. You don't have to know somebody. You don't have to have a certain education or anything like that. You go to Del Taco, you're going to get a meal. Anytime you want, yeah, there you go. I'll see you at Del Taco next time we go. I love that. <laughs> and so on the complete opposite end of the spectrum of some experiences, there's certain things that are wide open. That it's very, very easy to get a seat. But the, here's the interesting thing about human nature. It seems like we're hardwired to long for, to desire, to want the exclusive things in this world. And we'll quickly drive right past Del Taco. And it's interesting because there are certain restaurants who their menu hasn't changed, the quality of their food hasn't changed, yet what once was exclusive, what once took three months to get in, perhaps something new popped up, something else popped up, and nothing's changed about the experience, but now you can easily get in. You might say, ah, ugh. that's such last year. You see, how we understand these things in life really shapes how we understand our perspective of God. And I want to be very, very clear that to understand what the Apostle Paul is talking about here and to understand what Jesus is doing in creating this new humanity, it's actually more exclusive and more hard to get into and in many ways, seemingly more closed than any restaurant, any membership, any experience in this world. And yet some of you are upset I'm saying that because you say, no, it's open. There's an invitation for all. Yes, there is. But the problem is that we treat being in God's presence like Del Taco. We say it's open for everyone, but we actually lose the significance and the weight and the beauty and the glory and the extraordinary reality of what it means to be in God's presence. You see, in Scripture it says in the Old Testament that a person couldn't even be in God's presence, that they would be killed. 
And yet Scripture also says that to be in God's presence is to experience the fullness of joy and peace and beauty and glory and goodness. That actually to be in God's presence is the closest thing you'll ever get to feeling at home. That there's actually, Scripture says, a table in the universe that is the center of power, that is the center of glory, that is the center of everything important. And it's the most exclusive table in the world. Because no amount of money will get you in. No amount of waiting will get you in. No education, no skill set, nothing that you've ever done, nothing in your life can actually get you in God's presence. So therefore, by the very nature of it, it is very exclusive. It's not like this open call, hey, whatever you want, come on, show up. No, Scripture says that there's actually one way, there's only one way that you can actually be in God's presence. There's only one way that you can experience that, and you can't do anything about it. Not somebody you know, not about getting up at midnight and getting on the reservation system. And until you realize that to be in God's presence is the most exclusive experience in the cosmos, none of this will make sense. The gospel will fall flat in your life. And you'll hear good news like you're invited in to be part of what God's doing. And it'll go in one ear and out the other. It'll bounce off your heart because it's like somebody at Del Taco with one of those things, you know, they're dressed up. Come on in. There's a special five for one. You don't even notice that you drive right past by, but we do this all the time with God because we don't realize the weightiness and the significance and the glory of what it means to be part of God's people. Take a look at this. Open those Bibles back up. Verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Let's pause there. The Apostle Paul reminds us that to be in God's presence is actually what we are created for. This is actually infinitely more important and significant and valuable than any restaurant or sporting event or, or artistic experience. Actually, this is more than just a need, more than just a desire. This is what we were created for. And to be apart from being in God's presence causes us to begin to decay. To be separated from God means that, that, our, that our days are numbered. How many of you have seen a film that… Uh, it's up for best picture this year, The Martian. Any of you seen that this year? Show of hands, The Martian. So there's this amazing experience. So Matt Damon plays this character, Watney, right? He is very far from home. He's on Mars. His days are numbered. He can barely survive. It's phenomenal writing, phenomenal directing by Ridley Scott. I mean, it's a, it's a phenomenal film, but I cannot read this passage without thinking of that film. Because there's this character, the main character in the film is so far from home and he's not going to survive very long. And there's a rescue mission. The whole earth is aware of this. And there's a crew that is going to go around earth and all the way slingshot to the men. They're going to go risk their lives to rescue Watney, to bring him back home. And of course, we look at Mars and we imagine home here and we say, of course, he wants to be rescued from Mars to get back home. Of course, that's, it's, it's a worthy rescue. Of course, he wants to survive to get back to his family, his loved ones, the experience of all of that. 
And the Apostle Paul says, do you realize that you were actually born on Mars? We call it Earth, but this isn't our home. Our days are numbered. We were not designed to survive here for eternity. And we actually have another home, and it's in God's presence, and God is actually on a rescue mission, much like that crew, to come to us. And Jesus did that rescue mission, and He sacrificed more than just time or money or skills. He sacrificed His entire life for you. It says it right here, verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near, have been brought home, have been brought in the very presence of God the seat of all joy and beauty and glory and honor. How? Not from your skills, not from your money, not from your reservations, but by one thing, one exclusive thing, by the blood of Christ. If you allow just that truth to sink in, that there's this exclusive place in the universe in God's presence, that it actually should cause you to be in awe and wonder and humility that there's even a place like that 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 you aren't even good enough to be in the presence of, that you can't do anything of your own works to get into, but at the same time, that because of what Jesus has done, the truth is that there's an open seat for you at the most exclusive table in the universe. I mean, it seems like a contradiction. We often talk about exclusive things as being closed. But this exclusive table is open. You see, Jesus says, I want you to experience the fullness of what you were designed for. And there's only one way for you to experience that, Jesus says. Come by my invitation. Let me pay the bill. Let me be the door that you walk through to experience and to sit down in God's presence. And to know no matter what's going on in your life that there is a joy, there is a, there is a security, there's a safety of what it means to be in that all-exclusive, the most important place in the universe, to be in God's presence. Open those Bibles back up. Turn a page back one. The beginning of Ephesians 2. The Apostle Paul says in verse 1, you were dead through the trespasses and sins in which you once lived, found the course of this world, found the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work among those who are disobedient. All of us once lived among them in the passions of our flesh, following the desires of flesh and senses, and we were by nature children of wrath like everyone else. We're on the outside, but... But God, one of the most, oh, those two words, but God, change the course of your life, change the course of human history, but God, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, not when you showed up to church, not when you did good deeds, not when you gave to a nonprofit or a church, but while you were dead in your sin and your brokenness and your trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have, present tense, been saved 
and raised us up with him and seated us, present tense, with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. There's a truth here that because of what Jesus has done on the cross, that when you with empty hands of faith hold on to what he did for you, that in that instant you are seated at the most exclusive table in the universe. And yet, our physical bodies, it's going to take some time to catch up to that reality because we're both spirit and we are physical, are we not? And in that moment, in that presence, in that present tense moment, when you say yes to Jesus, your spirit, your soul is in God's presence. You're home. You're home. The rescue is complete. And it's going to take some time for your mind and your body to catch up to that reality. I love what Dallas Willard says. He says that when we die and when we step into God's presence, it's actually going to take us a while until we realize that that actually happened. Because there's this instant reality when we are in God's presence that we'll be fully home and finally home that the physical brokenness we experience here on this earth and the hostility and the injustice and the hate and the discord that we experience all around us will be gone, will be made new in that instant. To be apart from the body, Scripture says, is to be present with the Lord. What a glorious truth that is. We'll experience the fullness of what that means then, but Scripture says we get a taste of that now. And when you truly get a taste of that now, that through Jesus you've been invited to an open seat and an exclusive table, then you begin to realize this seat isn't just for me. This seat is not just for me. This is for all people. Because it's not my money, it's not my talents, it's not my waiting that get me here. So that exclusivity doesn't now cause it to be closed off because now I've made this seat now occupies. No, the reality is that there is an open seat, an exclusive table. And that was the problem that Paul is addressing in this passage. Open those Bibles back up. I, I have to cover this. You see, the Apostle Paul is talking about two different groups of people. There are some that are near and some that are far, and there's a hostility between those two. You see, if you get a seat at an exclusive table and you pay for it, when somebody comes in the restaurant who can't afford it or who didn't wait the 10 years to get the reservation, you're going to have hostility towards them. When you're the one who has the reserve ticket in the movie theater and they come in with a general admission, you're going to be the one saying, no, that's my seat. That's my seat. And you're going to make a fool of yourself. Why? Because that's your seat. And we do this as people because when we have those seats that we acquire based upon our own skills, there is an us versus them. I've got it, you don't. And that's what was happening in the first century. You see, the Jewish people were God's people. And you see, throughout all of Scripture, they are people of the covenant. They are people of the promise that the fullness of all that God longed for was for them. And after a while, they were beginning to take for granted this very special seat that they had that was meant to be for the blessing of all people, the care of all people. They thought of themselves as being near and everyone else as being far. You see, the word Gentile means that it's anybody who isn't Jewish. And so this us versus them mentality got so bad that in the first century there was this experience 
outside the temple in Jerusalem where only Jewish people could enter. And based upon your holiness and your cleanliness and what you have done, you could get closer and closer to the center where they believed God's presence was most manifest. But on the outside of all of that, there was this wall. It was called the Wall of the Gentiles. And archaeologists in the 1800s actually found this wall. They actually uncovered this wall. And there was an inscription on this wall that said this, to you Gentiles, to you outsiders, if you cross over this boundary, if you go through this wall, it's only to you that has to blame for the ensuing death that will come in your life. Literally, there was a wall that said, if you cross over, if you as an outsider come in, it's your fault that we're going to kill you. Literally, that's what was happening. There was such an us versus them. There was a huge hostility. And the Apostle Paul says, do you realize what Jesus has done? Take a look at this. I already read verse 13. Verse 14, for he is our peace in his flesh. He has made both groups into one and has broken down the dividing wall. That is the hostility between us. Verse 15, he has abolished the law with its commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new humanity in place of the two, thus making peace. Jesus says, I didn't come, though, to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. You see, there's a standard to get into God's presence, and it's to live a perfect life, to obey the law, to live up to the commands. No one can do it. Even those that thought they were on the inside couldn't do it, and Jesus says, I've already done it. I lived the perfect life. I died the perfect death. So that through faith and trust in me, all of that is given to you. The Apostle Paul also writes that God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, who never sinned, he actually made him sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. The Apostle Paul goes on. Verse 17, so he came and proclaim peace to those who were far off and peace to those who were near. And I love this truth. There's people that feel they're on the inside, the people that are moral, that are good, that show up to church, that wear a tie to church, that work at a church, that pray a lot. They might consider themselves near. And after a while, we might begin to think that it is our works, our good deeds, our things that we've done that give us the right, that give us the opportunity to sit at that table. And because we rely upon ourselves, after a while, we begin to take for granted the very thing that we've been invited into. And as the years go by and the decades go by, we begin to treat this thing like Del Taco. And the last thing we do is invite our friends to come eat with us. The last thing we do is we go to heavens and ends of heaven and earth to, to invite people to experience this because we treat it like Del Taco. But if you got into that restaurant, remember the one that it takes 10 years to get into? If you were on that reservation and you knew 2024, I'm getting in, and you got a phone call, hey, hey, there's an opening. Can you show up this Friday? You would drop everything. Who cares if it's in New York? You would drop everything to go to New York just to get that seat. You see, we have to realize that this thing that Jesus has invited us into is for people who are far from God and people that feel like they're near to God. People who on the outside are an absolute mess and people who on the inside are an absolute mess. 
People whose addictions cause everyone to say, oh man, they're far from God, but also people who are so filled with pride that no one thinks that they need God, but actually Paul says that Jesus is the only way, is the only one, is the only entrance into this very thing that many of us, we take for granted. It seems like such a dichotomy, it seems like such a contradiction that there is an exclusive table at the center of the universe that is an open seat for you. And for some of you, that's good news. You're longing for that peace. You're longing for that joy. You're longing for belonging. You're longing for someone to look at you and say, you're enough. Jesus is the only one who can do that for you. And you have an opportunity today to take a seat in the presence of God. Jesus can do that. And yet some of us, some of you, me included, can so easily take this for granted that we forget, forget to realize that this seat isn't just for us, that this church isn't just for us, that our small groups aren't just for us, that our communities and our friends aren't just for us, but that we would open them up and we would invite people to come and to see and to taste and to know that Jesus is everything for us. You see, there's some groups, some tables, some restaurants, that the common denominator of everybody who shows up is that everybody can afford it. There are some restaurants and some groups that the common denominator of everyone who shows up is they have the patience to wait. There are some restaurants and some groups and some schools and some associations and some organizations that the common denominator is that you have a certain skill set, a certain level of education, a certain thing that you've accomplished, that you've done, a certain resume. But this new humanity that Jesus talks about, there's only one common denominator. It has nothing to do with wealth, has nothing to do with patience, has nothing to do with skill. The one common denominator is this, is that everyone is willing to die to themselves, to give up everything, to long to be at that exclusive table, and in humility to accept the invitation that Jesus gives because of His perfect sacrificial death to take a seat. Baylor, I hope that next year that there's more people in this room, in your life, in this community that you would never spend time with, that you would never show up in a restaurant with, that you would never be part of a club with, that you would never be part of anything with, that, that next year and the year after that, that we would increasingly become more and more diverse because the only thing that holds us together is that we are dying to ourselves and saying, it's not my skills, it's not my money, it's not my gifts, it's not where I live or my zip code or any association or anybody I know. It's not because I'm the pastor of this church that makes me part of this new humanity. It's Jesus Christ. And so the more that I can die to myself, and what does that mean to die to ourselves? It's to say, I've got nothing to bring. I've got nothing to offer. I will drop everything for you, Jesus Christ. The only way we're going to do that is if we actually see how glorious and extraordinary this table that he has set before us, where there's peace and joy and hope, all the things that we long for, it's right there, right at our fingertips. I know I need to hear this today. And I think you do too. Let's pray. God, in this moment as we gather together, even as those of us who are joining online or even listening after, God, I thank you that you have extended an invitation to us through Jesus.
And God, I pray that your spirit would stir us to want to be at that table, to hunger for that table. And that you would help us realize that we can't on our own strength, on our own power, on our own dime, our own skills, take a seat. But rather, Jesus, you gave up everything for us to give us a seat in your presence with your family. God, carry us if you need to in your presence. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.